myself right now and i'm talking to you as your hostess lexi thank you so much for joining us this is our bonus episode for the year our bonus halloween episode for the month of heavy hunks of horror i uh really enjoying this month this has been a lot of fun and for our bonus we're doing something a little bit different this time we brought all of our guests back and had them tell us all individually about who their favorite heavy hunk of horror is so this very special bonus episode every single one of the guests that have been with us on the three deemers this season are going to be back giving us their individual explanation of their favorite heavy hunk and why they love him and uh as your host obviously i'm going to have to be the first person to talk about their heavy hunk and uh i'm gonna take my time with this and share with you my favorite heavy hunk as I've said from the start of this month and what have you, I've always been a little bit more partial to my lean boys. I know, I know that's not always the most, you know, reasonable statement when you're the one talking about a month of heavy hunks. And this was all my idea. This was my month. I really was excited to do this. And then I got into it and I realized I just really like them lean boys. But that doesn't mean that I don't have favorite heavy hunks. As we spoke about before, I was always a big fan of Leatherface. I don't mind a little bit of Jason. I'm not a big fan of Myers. But that doesn't mean that they're not all respectable heavy hunks. But the heavy hunks that really come after me, that really cater to me, that really make me feel special, are uh, one particular heavy hunk. Well, he has many heavy hunk forms, many uh, different ways he's been portrayed as a heavy hunk, so to speak, in his long-standing, complicated career. I'm going to have my heavy hunk be Pluto from the hit Hills Have Eyes series. If you're uh, familiar with the Hills Have Eyes, the Hills Have Eyes is a story about an incestuous family that grew up in the atomic testing sites out in the Nevada desert. As always, we're back with another family. You know how I love my families. I think families sometimes have some of the best heavy hunks in them because you can't have a family without someone who does the physical labor. You can't have somebody there who isn't responsible for picking up all those bags of groceries and carrying them in or 
picking up all the the big stuff or cutting down some trees in the yard or all that kind of stuff you got to have a big thick boy that can come in and help with that you got to have a husky boy to help with that and pluto is definitely the husky boy of the family the character of pluto is played by the actor michael john berryman michael john berryman is one of my all-time favorite iconic horror actors coming in at six foot two 300 pounds he is an actual heavy hunk in life now jacob told me he said alex i don't know if i would consider pluto a heavy hunk but i just i just couldn't get behind that i couldn't i couldn't stand that by and just say that michael berryman is not a heavy hunk of horror michael berryman will always be a heavy hunk of horror. Michael Berryman was born with a rare disease known as hypohydrotic ectodermal dysplasia. It is a rare condition and it is characterized by the absence of sweat glands, hair, and fingernails. His unusual physical appearance has allowed him to play many unique iconic horror characters. So he doesn't have any hair or nails or sweat glands and that's how his skin looks the way it does and it's where he gets his unusual head shape and what have you. When I was in school, I was asked to sculpt a individual, and I chose to sculpt the full-size head of Michael Berryman while I was in school. So I love Michael Berryman so much. I think Michael Berryman is such an iconic piece of horror that I personally sculpted his full size head and i have pictures of that which i will put up on all of our social media for you to look at and gaze upon the fine quality craftsmanship that i put into making michael berryman's head pluto is an amazing character too it's one of michael berryman's most iconic roles as a heavy hunk he's got a little bit of voice but not a whole lot of voice he's definitely the heavy lifting he keeps, you know, everybody in check. If it wasn't for dad, of course, everybody, dad, of course, is the one that everybody listens to, but Pluto definitely kills it in that film. And his death's a little sad, a little sad. It ends with the dog ripping the throat out of Pluto, but Pluto still comes back for the sequel. So explain that one. Regardless of that, he's still one of the most iconic heavy hunks. And I, I feel like, as I said before, family horror, family horror requires that you have a heavy hunk. So without a heavy hunk, you don't have a family. I'm sorry. You just, it needs to be there. You need to have at least someone in your family who's six foot five, you know, 350, 400 pounds, because someone has got to carry the groceries in. And by groceries, I mean all those bodies that you guys just killed to make your dinner. All right, guys. Stick around. We got more coming up. We got more people telling us all about their heavy hunks. We got my wonderful guests coming back. We have Jacob telling us all about his favorite heavy hunk. We've got Rachel coming back to tell us all about her favorite heavy hunk. Join us. Continue this journey down the path that is the Three Deemers. Very special Halloween hunks of horror. been huh where have you been you bring this this is jupiter boy what'd you buy mercury's dead papa he's at the bottom of the cliff mercury's dead he fought
pushed. Pushed? Who the hell pushed my boy? Devil Dog. The big bastard's tracks are right on Mercury's chest. Good boy. Pluto, you come back here. We got some things to do. You understand what I'm saying? I'm coming, Papa. Rachel, who is your favorite heavy hunk of horror? I find this to be a difficult question. Um, not only because most of the heavy hunks are, are slashers. Slashers aren't really my, my jam. But uh, so outside of slashers, it's a very limited uh, selection. It's kind of hard to break down even what qualifies. I think there's a lot of heavy hunks of horror that are outside of the slasher genre. There are lots of sort of supernaturally based or sort of otherworldly based or things like that. So there's a lot of other options and what have you. Who's someone outside of who you think would be a heavy hunk that you like? It's hard because I could think of uh, big heavy boys, but I don't really think that they're uh, antagonists. Like Frankenstein's monster. I don't think that Frankenstein's monster is the antagonist of the film. I think Frankenstein himself is the monster, uh, both in the classical literature sense and in the original Universal and Hammer adaptations. The monster is a victim. I mean, that's fair. So you don't like any large heavy hunk? I mean, he's still a heavy hunk of horror, regardless. Whether he's the killer or not, he's still an integral part of it. So that That's fair. Uh, he's an integral part, but I, yeah, I feel like he's more of a victim than anything else. I think my biggest antagonist that would I find upsetting and is large is like the giant spiders in any sort of giant spider movie. Not a fan of them. But they're animals. They don't count for this. They're fucking heavy. No, they're a giant animal. And as the requirements of this are, it must be a bipedal. The the blob is a heavy hunk. The blob is not bipedal. The blob is a blob. It's a hunk of goo. <laughs> he is a hunk of goo. But he's not a bipedal hunk of glue. It's quite quite heavy. You like like octopus and squid and stuff. Do you like Cthulhu? Cthulhu could be your heavy hunk. He is in fact a heavy hunk of horror. He is eldritch horror and he is bipedal, so he falls within the requirements and he has an octopus face. I don't I'm not really a big fan of HP Lovecraft in general no, no not at all not really he is one of the godfathers of horror he's so. also a, a racist and a bigot i mean a lot of people were from that time period his peers at the time thought he was a bit much that's funny um did you like any of the heavy hunks that we covered this month are you a fan of any of the the, the three big not boys not even a little no. bit no no <laughs> no love for them no wow well, that's a shame. So, I guess I'm going to try one more time and ask you, who is Rachel's favorite heavy hunk? You are. You're my favorite heavy hunk-ass of horror. I guess, I guess that's fair, then. We'll have to go with that and leave it there. Thanks, as always, for having me on. <laughs> there you go. That's all I needed from you.
Hello, this is Paul Zechariah back here on The Three Deemers talking about my favorite heavy hunk of horror. And honestly, I I gotta go with Michael Myers uh, from Halloween. You know what it is about Michael? He He's the strong, silent type. That's who he is. He is someone who is just unspeakably evil and so good at being unspeakably evil in the way he kills, the way he uh, moves, just the way he is. He's a tall, big guy, and he just looks so intimidating, and I don't know, it's just the way he is, I'm, I'm spooked by him, and I'm amazed by him, and that's why he's my pick for the heavy hunk of horror for Halloween. See, Michael Myers is really fascinating because, you know, with all the different Halloween movies that have been made uh, it's funny how so many of them uh, all branch out into different timelines even though they're all a lot of them are different stories it feels like the kind of Michael that we know and love and he can be different uh, in some variations like particularly in the Rob Zombie films but at the same time you see that big hulking guy that he is and you know that you gotta run. I mean, even though he he doesn't run, he will get you no matter what. And to me, that is frightening. And to me, that makes for such a great heavy hunk of a villain, of a, of a horror icon. So yeah, be afraid of Michael. Michael Myers, his look, you know, just the one piece guest station attendant look in the the mask the William Shatner Captain Kirk mask you know the thing is it's it's not a whole lot in terms of a of a costume in terms of a look it's very simple and to be honest that's all you need you know sometimes you don't need a big flashy outfit a big colorful outfit sometimes you can just work with something you know very simple like what he has and he can still look very intimidating and that's a that's a very big outfit but you know it's a big outfit for a big guy a big uh, heavy hunk of a guy and one of the many reasons why michael myers is great and my pick for a heavy horror hunk michael it will destroy you too. One day, Michael, this rage which drives you, you think if you kill them all, it will go away. It won't. You have to fight it in the place where it's strongest. where it all began. If you want to get rid of this rage, Michael, go home. Go home! Go to your house. I shall be there waiting for you. You'll find her waiting for you.
So, when I was a kid, I would go to Blockbuster Video all the time. And, you know, I'd always make my rounds. I'd look at the new releases. But then I would always stroll through the, the 99 cent for movie rentals. And I got to a point where I'm just like, literally, I wanted to start from A to Z and just kind of, you know, pick out the ones I really liked. And then the ones that, you know, oh, that's like my second or third tier. You know, there was always ones that, like, my parents wouldn't let me watch. And then after a while... They like cut me off completely. They're like, no, you've been acting out. Like you need to stop, like you're going to stop watching these movies. Well, you know, finally, you know, every time I would see the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I'd see that iconic front poster and I would just be like, I want to see this one. Mom's like, no, you're not going to see it. No, you're not going to watch it. No. And I'm like, but it's Texas. It has history near to near and dear to our hearts, mom. We're in Louisiana. Come on. I must. And also too. There was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 poster that I would see, and they'd always they'd have the Breakfast Club. It would be at Albertsons, and I would see this riddle, and I'd always want to see this movie. Like, what is this? And, like, finally, when I was 16, my mom was just like, whatever, you're 16 now. I'll let you watch it. <laughs> and, like, I watched it, and I was captivated by this movie. And I like, literally, I watched it, and I started it over and watched it over a second time, like, right away. Just because of its rawness, just because my whole life, my dad would make would like make jokes and be like, Yeah, don't go down that road. The Texas Sandstorm Massacre family lives down that road. The leverage mm-hmm. can get you. But you know, it's wanting to be a storyteller. Something encapsulating this story, this this myth, turning this legend into something that's almost like a real life story. That's that's what storytelling's all about. Yeah. That's why I like this movie so much. Because literally this this one guy, Toby Hooper, he he produced it, he wrote the story, he produced it, he directed it. He he brought the whole mythos to that area and we and pretty much the chainsaw was put into the ethos into the zeitgeist of pop culture one thing that i um that i really also gravitated towards as a kid is like and i and i know this is probably going to sound so crazy but i saw leatherface as this misunderstood tortured soul somebody that yeah somebody that was influenced by the rest of his family to do the malicious things and if you look at him the way like he would hit his head the way he would look out it almost like he didn't want to do any of this, mm-hmm. and he was he was it was almost like he was a prisoner within it because if you notice around the dinner table, he would mimic everybody else because he thought that's what I'm supposed to be doing. I think he he was conflicted. I think he didn't want to do all these things, but he was forced to do it. And I think he wasn't really mentally handicapped. He was just completely batshit out of his mind. Freddie was always my first slasher, and he'll always have a special face in my heart. But you know. Leatherface, he was more of a seasoned slasher. He was more of that. He was more about like staying in that realm of reality where everything was gritty and raw and everything had a sense of like, hey, this could very much happen to you. Freddy, you had to suspend your disbelief a little bit. You had to say, okay, well, I mean, he was a dream demon, but a million handicapped madman with a chainsaw running in the woods in Texas. Yeah, could happen. And also to add to that, um, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre has always been a special place. Uh, in, in my heart because you're know, living next to Louisiana and um, living close to Texas and always you know it's always the oh that was based on a true event you know that happened like, don't go to Texas mm-hmm. be careful where you go don't don't go up that that dirt road or you might you know Leatherface might get you or some um, masked chainsaw maniac will get you and you know it's all his family man it started it all Anybody home?
Discuss your all-time favorite heavy horror hunk. Must be thick and big, preferably bipedal. No, like, four-legged animal types. No Freddies or pinheads. Just big, thick boys. What is light without dark? What are you without me? <laughs> I am a part of you all. You can never defeat me. We are brothers. It's a tad funky because you have gotten to the Justin Morgan segment of the bonus episode of the Three Deemers podcast. We're talking about thick boys, and I have to pick a favorite. So I just turned thickness all the way up to 11, and I went with Darkness from Legend. I don't know if it really counts, but he's pretty much the embodiment of evil right right darkness are you the embodiment of evil of course i am i'm darkness well it's nice to be doing this with you darkness i have to say i think you have to be the thickest of all the thick boys because you did the impossible and what would that be well for one you seduced my childhood crush of Mia Sara. You're damn straight I did. I mean, look at me. I'm thick. I'm thick, man. Oh, and don't get me started on Ferris Bueller's day off. All right, all right, all right. I won't do that. Besides, uh, it's not a horror film. Neither is legend. Well, yes and no. I get that it's a fantasy film, but you are pretty much the evilest thing of all time. Am I wrong? No, no. You're right. You're really right. Well, I I have to say, it's actually kind of a big deal to have you doing this interview with me. I do a podcast, and I don't, I've never spoke to anybody's famous you before. Do you want me to interview you, ask you questions about why you chose me? Actually, that would probably be perfect. I didn't really think this thing through. I, I really don't have any questions. I'm a failure. I'm a failure of, of the guest. Did, you didn't fail yet, man. There's no failing in podcasting. Everything is great. Oh man, that that really means a lot to me. Especially coming from you. Putting the thickness aside for a moment. What is so terrifying about me? Why am I all Heavy horror. Why? Well, you are a 
sad on the terrifying side. I mean, I watched this at a young age. Probably before I really started watching any horror films at all. Hey, Justin, do you want to watch this fantasy film? Sure. Unicorns, the pretty girl, and the devil. The fucking devil. You're, you are scary as all hell in that movie. You know, no, no pun intended. I mean, I'm not the only scary thing in legend. How about Glicks? That goblin. She fucking scares me, to be honest. I mean, Blix is terrifying. You're right about that. But let's let's rewind it for a second. I mean, I don't really see any of the artwork out there for Legend that features Blix. I mean, and if it does, she's like, I don't know, a third your size. You're usually the entire poster. Am I wrong? No. You're very right. I'm pretty much the star. I mean, whatever happened to that Tom Cruise guy? The fuck he ever do with his life? Exactly. No, oh, exactly. What what has he ever done? Nothing. Shit. Alright. We're running out of time here. I gotta ask. What? What makes me so thick? What makes me thick? Physically? I mean, have you seen yourself? What do you mean by that? I, I mean, no offense at all, man. I, I just meant, look at you. Like, you really got beefed up in that movie. Uh, you, you, you're not... You're, you are the legend, I think. You're iconic. Almost every single version of Satan after this film looks an awful lot like you. I, I think it all goes back to you. Wait a minute. Is, is this only gonna be about my physical appearance? Listen, no. I'll, I'll bring it up again. I'm gonna say it one more time. It's just the way that you... You're you're a seducer, man. Like, you got this nice, innocent Mia Sarah on the movie, and you and you turn her out into I don't know what. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. And because the technology exists, I'd like to play that clip. I mean, you're kind of a poet. Here we go. Check it out. Just the two of us. Some uh, simple conversation. I have nothing to talk about. You've stolen my dreams away. All things change, lady. The dreams of youth are the regrets of maturity. Dreams are my speciality. Through dreams, I influence mankind. My dream is of eternity with you. 
I offer you this rose, princess. My heart, my soul, my love. Love? See, man, you are also a poet. The dreams of youth are the regrets of maturity. And I love the way that you used the word love. You threw it out there and you got her hook, line, and sinker. That was the moment. That's the moment right there in the movie. Well, unfortunately, this is one, but I'm going to have to go. Well, thank you. Thanks for doing this with me. No, thanks for having me on. Do you think the three Deemers are even going to like that I did this? Man, they're going to fucking love it. <laughs> I'm struck once again watching those scenes as to how good this movie looks and how interesting it's not. This is the kind of movie that either you get into it right away or you don't get into it at all, and I didn't. Legend has all of its parts in the right places, and the special effects look great, and Tim Curry from Rocky Horror Picture Show does a terrific job of playing the Prince of Darkness, but the movie lacks a certain lightness of touch. It's like a lot of other recent dreary sword and sorcery epics, all filled with dark shadows and pretentious declarations of doom and gloomy symbolism. A, a movie like this needs, what it really needs is a little of the cheerful Errol Flynn-style swashbuckling spirit of adventure from the old days of Hollywood. It takes itself too seriously and winds up getting lost in its own pretension. Oh, fuck off, Roger Ebert. Hello, it's Marina, and I am here to spread the good word about the Archduke of Nightmares, Psycho Goreman, from the 2020 film called PG, Psycho Goreman. He is played by Matthew Ninneber in the film, who is a champ. Apparently he was the first one on set for the day and the last one to leave every night. But we're not here to talk about the actor, we're here to talk about the Psycho Goreman. PG for short ends up in a Billy and Mandy-esque situation when his power gem is found by two human children who force him to do their bidding. So you know what? He's good with kids. We're off to a good start. If you haven't seen the movie yet or any pictures, trust me when I say that Psycho Goreman could kick your ass clear out of your ass into another universe. He originally finds his power gem while being enslaved on his own home planet Gygax under the tyrannical rule of the Templars, which is like a weirdly religious alien race. It sounds like a fever dream and it kinda is if you've seen the movie, but he's great. He's anti-establishment and we love that for him. Unfortunately, he went on like a rage bender and almost destroyed the whole galaxy, which happens. It just happens sometimes. And karma did come full circle because now he's a slave to these kids in the plot of the movie. He tries to be so intimidating, but these kids are so desensitized because of course kids are, that they really don't give a shit. He is as clever as he is brutal. He's not just like all meat. And he does live by some kind of code because once he's double crossed by some friends, he gives them a warrior's death and eats them feet first all the way up. You know, if you can't trust your friends to eat you after you lose a battle, who can you trust? 
I feel like the most widely spread instance in the movie is when he is given fashion magazines by the human child who has control over him, the Mandy in this situation, if you will. At first, he's just like, I hate all this greed and narcissism. Why are you even showing this to me? And she's like, yeah, but look at all the hunky boys in the ads. And he goes, I do not care for hunky boys. Then there's a moment. There's a moment, a brief little zoom in on his face. And he goes, or do I? If you've seen that but not the movie, you might not know that actually comes back around again, where he is quite distressed over the possible destruction of his hunky boy magazines. So on top of being badass, he is also a queer icon? Possibly? Maybe. We don't know what his alien race is like. For a one-movie guy, I think you get everything with Psycho Goreman. You get someone, again, good with kids, great babysitter, great protector. It's unclear how mating and relationships work for his race, but I'm thinking if you're in his good graces enough for him to actually care about you, he would actually destroy the universe if anything happened to you, which is a bonus. You want someone who's like, ride or die. He sticks by his convictions. Again, as smart as he is strong, he has some really solid one-liners in here, even though it is all about, oh, I'll destroy you, I'll rip your heart out, you know, the warrior stuff. He's also kind of stylish. While he is big, scary alien man, which I'm not sure if he's wearing armor or is just naked all the time. At one point, he is made to wear human clothes, and he is essentially wearing what Sam Neill wears in Jurassic Park, but still pulls it off for being like a big, scary alien man. Did I mention the brain thing? He's somehow able to turn a kid into like a brain monster. It's a movie. It's definitely a movie that exists, Psycho Goreman 2020. But you know what? He's creative. He's creative on top of everything else I've said. <laughs> Have I sold you on him yet? Because this does feel like part cell, part plot synopsis. Also like, monster fuckers, I got you. I got you him. What, Venom 2 came out and now you're scared of this alien warrior guy? Come on. You know it. Big, intimidating, scary alien man that happens to like hunky boys and can destroy a galaxy. What else can I really say? It's on Shudder, it's probably on other streaming platforms. Watch Psycho Goreman 2020, tell me I'm wrong. Join me in celebrating Psycho Goreman. Good for you, bad for America, terrible for Earth, Psycho Goreman. PG. And a TV to watch. Did you sleep okay? I'm sorry we didn't bring any pornos. Petty displays of wealth. How can your short lifespans allow such narcissism? Yeah, but look at all the hunky boys. I do not care for hunky boys. Thick boys. There's a lot of them out there. There's a lot to love. And a lot of them to love. But I have to say that my personal favorite is Jason Voorhees. Now, Jason Voorhees, as many people know, is the pinnacle and embodiment of adolescent fear. And what is more scary than seeing a gigantic thick boy coming after you in the middle of the woods? At Crystal Lake while you're just trying to get high and get laid. Nothing. 
I can tell you 100%, nothing else is scarier than Jason Voorhees. Um, It's been a character that I have had a weird kind of connection with and attraction to uh, when it comes to curiosity about horror. He was kind of the first horror movie icon that I was ever aware of, and the crazy guy in the hockey mask with the big machete. And uh, yeah, so with that long-running impact that he had had on me in actually introducing me into horror and what horror was and what a horror icon was. He's my pick for my horror thick boy of all time. Uh, my favorite portrayal of him, because he has been portrayed multiple different times, uh, has to be done by Kane Hodder. Kane Hodder, to me, is the definitive Jason Voorhees. He embodies the movement. He embodies the thickness, um, and he's always been, you know, one I thought that was the most physical version of Jason, um, and one of the most terrifying and just physically, you know, impactful version of him. So um, the reasons why I love Jason Voorhees is just because he's just got such an iconic look. He, again, just pretty much set up what I think is very much the kind of pinnacle of the horror movie slasher, especially when it came to teen horror icons. Um, My favorite movie featuring Jason Voorhees has to be um, Friday 13th Part 4. With that one, of course, we have the legendary Crispin Glover dance, Corey Feldman as a lead actor in it, and actually puts on a pretty great performance, you know, one of the best child actors out there. Weirdo now, but I digress. With Jason Voorhees, though, he's just such a cool, awesome character, and it's literally he's just strong and indestructible, and a lot has been able to come out of him as a character, so... Um, you know, this all those legendary kills of both the ones that he's performed and the ones that have been performed against him. My favorite kill of his of all time has to be the sleeping bag kill where he wraps up the camper in the sleeping bag and just slams him against the tree in the ground. Just so creative, so, you know, emblematic of... You know, the kind of terrors and the fears that we have when we go camping and everything. And he just really embodies that. And again, embodies the whole idea of what I think horror really kind of came from was was kind of adolescent fears and different things like that. So, yeah, Jason Voorhees, top horror thick boy for me. And I just think that, you know, if there was ever a top 10 list, he would be my number one whenever it comes to a thick boy. Because he's just, again, got such a great look, got such a great, uh, interesting kind of origin with him being, you know, the forgotten child, you know, left at the bottom of the lake um, by the counselors and everything. And really a great character that does grow in, you know, from becoming just from, you know, an odd child, having a hay sack on his head in the second movie, and then finally finding the hockey mask in the third movie where it kind of creates that definitive look. And I just really think that, you know, there's nobody out there, you know, horror movie fan or non-horror movie fan that does not know who Jason Voorhees is. I mean, you see a hockey mask, a jersey, and a machete, uh, and you automatically think of him. At least that's how it is for me. So, you know, I think that Jason Voorhees should be the top thick boy out there. And, you know, if you disagree with me, you know, you, me, Kane Hodder, we can all talk about, you know, who your top pick is. So, uh, yeah, happy Halloween, happy 3 deemer ween I'm going to TM that so that I can have a portion of the 3 Deemers uh, 
big podcast bucks. So, uh, yeah, happy Halloween, everybody, for me and the three Deemers. I hope it's a great one for you this year, and I hope uh, you all get scared and are able to cuddle up next to uh, a thick boy or gal while you're enjoying your uh, scary movies and this scary season. Have a good one. Hey, it's me, Jacob, rounding out this awesome bonus, you know, saving the best for last. <laughs> I'm going to talk about my favorite heavy hunk of horror, and that is Rawhead Rex. Rawhead Rex is an incredible 1986 British horror film based off a short story by Clive Barker. It's also written Clive Barker, although over time he's kind of distanced himself from it because he wasn't too pleased with the direction that it went. However, to me, it's a really awesome folk horror monster movie and folk horror is a unique subgenre of horror that you don't get to see a whole lot of but lately there has been kind of a resurgence with films like Midsommar and Hereditary, The Witch. Just so many interesting things can be done with folk horror and it's very unique. A classic folk horror that I enjoy is The Wicker Man with Christopher Lee which we've talked about on this podcast before. There's just something about me that draws me to monster movies. I love classic black and white monster movies from the 50s and 60s. 60s. Just something about it I really enjoy. And what I like about Rawhead Rex is that it encapsulates that feeling of a classic monster movie, but with 80s practical effects and gore and makeup. You know, you've got the single pagan monster. It's considered to be a deity to some in the in the Celtic religions. It goes around just wreaking havoc, eating children. It's, you know, it's it's silly looking. The, the creature looks really cool, but at the same time, it's also like clearly a big terrible looking mask that he's wearing but just the whole cool uh look and design and feel of this movie and the way that they take themselves seriously um adds to the feeling of the film when you're watching it it really draws you in it's different you know it's exciting it, it's creepy it's weird and it's violent and gory which you know if you're a fan of gory 80s movies this is definitely one to check out it's got a small cult following it's a little bit under the radar it's only a solo there's just this one movie however you have the short story and then of course clive barker has tied rawhead rex into certain hellraiser series here and there there's been references uh, it's a unique combination that he created to quote Kat Ellinger from this neat little essay she wrote, I don't believe in the devil, Rawhead Rex, a folk whore. While the film strays wildly in some parts to Barker's original short story, which was published in his collection, Books of Blood, Volume 3, in 1986, the same time that the movie itself was made, it does keep enough of the central elements, as well as its connection to folklore, to place it in the folk horror camp. The origins of Barker's story, Rawhead, the titular beast, can be traced back not to a pagan god like we see in the film, and the book, but to a mythical boogeyman, Rawhead and Bloody Bones, 
which was a story told to children to keep them in their beds at night. In this respect, Rawhead is a child killer, something Barker capitalizes on in the book by stating the creature's love for child meat several times, while in the film he makes tasty morsels of the younger cast members. Of course, as with all folk horrors, setting is key, and Rawhead Rex certainly delivers on the rural location element. The film moves Barker's initial setting of a village just outside London, as seen in the book, to Ireland, with George Pavlo shooting the entire picture in the picturesque setting of County Wicklock, which gives the added bonus of grounding the film in a place with a strong Celtic pagan tradition. This aspect works well with the central elements in the plot where Rawhead is apparently an ancient god, or king, with supernatural powers. Starting with the sacred stone, the director layers misty woods and fields, scarecrows, and isolated churches with devilish stained glass windows to conjure up a folk horror film that defies the film's usual association with the slasher monster movie. The book also features further pagan references to the Harvest Moon and Harvest Festival, which are left hanging between the lines when it comes to the film version. Something cool to note too is that um, all of Clive Barker's works relate to myth, yet Rawhead Rex stands out as something a little different. Like a modern-day H.P. Lovecraft, the writer has conjured rich mythologies, even entire worlds, in many of his iconic texts, which include The Damnation Game, Weave World, Cabal, The Hellbound Heart, for those of you familiar with Hellraiser. So, with Rawhead Rex, the writer borrows from an established traditional tale, albeit one that has faded over the years. Rawhead and Bloody Bones was strictly an oral tradition, and while mentions of the myth can be found on both sides of the Atlantic, the memory of that particular beast has been all but forgotten in favor of a more more widespread idea of the boogeyman. However, in Rawhead Rex, at least a part of him lives on. So that was just a cool little, you know, bit of info from the special edition DVD that I got where it has this cool little pamphlet in here just kind of covering the whole idea and concept of folk horror. For those of you who are interested, if you're looking for something new, something different this Halloween, I highly, highly recommend Rawhead Rex. It's fun, it's different, and it's a classic monster movie, but it's updated. It's from the 80s. It's got gore. It's awesome. If you're a fan of classic monster movies, I can't recommend Rawhead Rex more. It is the perfect movie for Halloween. It's the perfect movie if you're a monster fan and if you're just looking for a good popcorn flick. Don't have to take it serious, just uh, shut your brain off, sit back, watch and enjoy. It's fantastic. So that's my heavy hump, Rawhead Rex. Check it out. Thanks guys. No, it's okay. Crows are very bad things. Oh, poor little bunny. It's hard to have. Yeah? <laughs> Well, guys, that was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Thank you, hosts. Thank you so much for coming back to join us. Thank you, guests. We love you. We appreciate you. We appreciate everything you do for the 3Dmers. We appreciate everything you did for us this month. Halloween is one of our favorite times, and we like to give things a little bit extra, a little bit more special for the month. So here's a special bonus, something we've never tried before. As always, I am your hostess, Lexi, my wonderful co-host, Jacob, our wonderful guests. Thank you so much. As always, stay classy. 
have yourselves a wonderful, happy, exciting, scary, heavy, hunk-filled Halloween. Oh, bye Calling you chicken fucker, but yeah, over there looks sex, sexually frustrated, and I don't approve of chicken fuck. You know what he called me, boss? I ain't done fucking sex. Come here, fucking chicken fuck. Come here, fucking chicken fuck. Grab the fucking chicken, Cleveland. I'll get the chicken. Yeah, fuck. Appreciate it. Thank y'all. He's the chicken fucker. That's all right. Put it back there. Next time we go someplace else. We ain't never buying chicken from him again, boss.